This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks to everyone who supports Daily Tech News Show directly. To find out more, head to dailytechnewsshow.com slash support. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, July 31st, 2018 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. Also with us, our producer, Roger Chang. How do you do, everyone? Uh, we were supposed to have Brian Brushwood today, uh, but he was unavoidably detained aboard an airplane at the time yes. <laughs> we're recording. Uh, and he sends his regrets, but we'll get him back on the show. Uh, so it's just going to be us today. I'm good. I'm good with that. Are you guys good with that? We'll miss Brian. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I like got you stuff guys. to say. Thankfully. Yeah. It's a good old fashioned DTNS. Just the family. <laughs> I, don't <know> why. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. Oh, speaking of families, Logitech has a new addition. Logitech has agreed to acquire Blue Microphones. Blue is known for mics that range in price from $60 to over $4,000. One of their most popular mics is the Yeti mic, a USB one. Logitech already owns Astro Gaming, Jaybird, and Ultimate Ears as well. Logitech, are you pregnant? No, I'm just getting blue. Facebook's head of cybersecurity policy, Nathaniel Gleicker, said the company identified coordinated inauthentic behavior designed to influence the U.S. politics and upcoming elections and has therefore suspended eight Facebook pages, 17 Facebook profiles and seven Instagram accounts. Facebook says the account spent $11,000 to run 150 ads between April and June. The accounts used VPN and internet phone services and paid third parties to run the ads on their behalf. A little more sophisticated than the behavior that we've been hearing about from 2016. Facebook says it cannot determine who is behind the accounts. MoviePass shut down for a night last week. We talked about this on the show over financial woes. And now the company says it will increase its price to $14.95 per month within the next 30 days. First run movies will only be viewable on a limited basis during the first two weeks of release outside of specific promotional deals. Mm, people are starting mm. to emphasize the pass in MoviePass. I have a feeling. Mm. 
Dual SIM is a requirement for a lot of users in the world who face either strict data caps and they want to, you know, flip back and forth, or maybe they're traveling between markets, so they'll have a SIM for the home market and a SIM when they're abroad. Uh, Dual SIM lets you have two SIMs in a phone, if you didn't realize that, so you can switch between those two carriers. 9to5Mac reports evidence in iOS 12 that developer beta 5 shows dual SIM support in a couple of places with references to second SIM status, second SIM tray status, and dual SIM device. All right, let's talk about what Yahoo is up to. We haven't done that in a while. We haven't. Sources tell Axios that Yahoo Finance will launch a full-day live video streaming network by the end of this year. The network would reportedly include eight hours of live market and global financial news, as some competitors are already doing, uh, updates. And, and sources say that the company is in talks with OTT providers and bundles about getting the content on platform other than Yahoo's own distribution channels, Wait, of eight, which they have many. Eight hours, market coverage, open hmm. to close. What does that remind you? Here's Tech Live. Oh, right. Oh, tech TV yeah. kind of tried that just in the tech circuit uh, back in... Uh, well, in all fairness, Yahoo has seen that this always succeeds. <laughs> yes, it's never failed. Well, CNBC has made a decent go totally. of it, I suppose. Uh, totally. and, and that's they're they're going up. They're looking at Cheddar, uh, which is which has made a lot of strides and gained a lot of audience, especially along, among the younger demographics. Uh, and obviously, CNBC, Bloomberg uh, has their own uh, live stream, which is doing quite well. Twitter uses it as a default stream. So why wouldn't Oath? Uh, want to get their Yahoo Finance uh, product uh, in in line as well, and and I think it's significant in another way, not just from the Yahoo side of things, but in the general idea of you used to launch a channel on cable, and it's now, especially in the finance uh, news world, becoming standard to launch a channel on your own site and then look for other places. Can we get it on Sling TV? Can we get it on Hulu? Uh, can can we add it to PlayStation View? There's talk that maybe it might get on Verizon Fios because Verizon owns Oath, which runs Yahoo. Uh, but but yeah, it's that's not the primary outlet that they're looking at. Well, it's interesting because if you compare it to a network like Cheddar, which is very millennial based, mm. but but is popular, Yahoo News or Yahoo Financial uh, uh, videos are for a. a, a older audience, um, just at least the shows that they have at this time, which which they already have shows. And the idea that they would say, well, you know, live streaming, why not like put them in sequential order and give this a try and see who's who's tuning in? That makes a lot of sense to me. The fact that it would not be on a cable news network, which again, traditionally appeals to older audiences, but also not really be competing with the cheddar audience because, you know, when I watch uh, coverage from both networks on the same story, it is very different. I wonder who the demographic is, especially because Yahoo has been trying out stuff on Facebook as well. Yeah. And, and I think it's smart to say, okay, we've got a couple of shows and, and I'm assuming those shows are doing well enough on Yahoo Finance. And, and actually, one of their shows is available on Verizon Fios on demand. Uh, mm-hmm. may, maybe they're doing well enough that they they see a demo they can sell to. And and so they're they're looking for places off the platform. And I think that's smart. You don't just say, hey, we're Yahoo Finance TV. You can get us at Yahoo Finance and leave it at that when you have these other distribution channels to consider. I'm curious if they'll uh, go on to YouTube. Not YouTube TV, obviously. That would be a, a potential uh, over-the-top situation. But would they, would they put up a YouTube channel to carry segments from this? 
maybe they have one already. I actually didn't look. I, I, I shouldn't. Hey, it's one of those things, especially with finance. It's 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 a channel or or a stream that you leave up running while you work in mm-hmm. the office. So it, they might see an opening of, you know, there, there might be a an office demographic that we're not aware of that literally just leaves a little window open with live finance streaming while they do related but not necessarily the same uh, style of work. Like one of the things that uh, I I glommed onto was a lot of people in the State Department at the time before, you know, streaming video was a thing, they all had cable tuner cards installed in their PC because one of the things they did was leave a little window open uh, that would run with a constant, you know, CNN or, or uh, whatever, BBC or whatever channel running because that was, you know, related to what they were doing, but, you know, something they didn't need to constantly be staring at. But, you know, if they heard something, they could ter- turn their eye and, you know, bring the screen full screen to, to pay closer yeah, yeah, attention. Right. Uh, but Yahoo Finance does have a YouTube channel, has 125,000 subscribers, and the videos are all like two minutes long around there. They're, they're basically segments, seem to be kind of consumer related, like Apple's new features, uh, five car insurance myths, something like that. So I'm curious if that changes when they launch this new network. All right. Samsung posted its slowest quarterly profit growth yet. Chip sales returned record profits, though. The problem is mobile. Samsung's making plenty of money elsewhere in their other bets, but mobile is about 40% of their revenue, and the Samsung Galaxy S9 sales fell short of targets. Mobile showed its steepest operating profit decline since Q1 2017. Uh, they made money on, on mobile, don't get me wrong, but it fell off 34% year over year. Sony tells a similar story. Its PS4 consoles brought in more than twice as much money as any other department. Uh, Sony Music, Home Entertainment, Sound and Image Sensors, all did well, though. They uh, they all turned a profit. Sony Pictures didn't turn a profit, but it kind of wasn't expected to. They only put out two movies. One was right at the end of the quarter. Smartphones, however, lost Sony $97 million, and it's not expected to get better. On the other hand, Huawei posted a revenue rise of 15% on the half year. They report in six-month increments. And operating profit rose 14%. While that's the slowest growth in first half sales since 2013, it came while being pushed out of the U.S. and Australia markets while expanding its market share in China to a record 27%. These earnings reports are all kind of tied together into the current mobile trend that more affordable Chinese phones, not necessarily from Huawei, ZTE uh, and others, are pressuring margins. Xiaomi is a big part of that as well. Cheaper phones have better design. They have better hardware than they ever have. So a lot of times... The price difference is still big between a flagship phone and a mid-range phone, but the feature set may not be that much different. And Samsung seems to be pinning its hopes on foldable phones. That That's kind of the, the, the word on the street that we've been seeing. I don't know that foldable phones sound like the thing that will make people flock back to flagship phones. And these lower-priced phones are, are becoming more and more compelling, don't you think? Well, I mean, that's the thing is if a foldable phone uh, creates uh, some sort of a solution for a, uh, a problem that I don't realize I have, great. But if 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 a huge, huge market, particularly in China, but in other markets as well, are interested in lower priced phones and Samsung has plenty of competitors in that market and they're doing well and eating into Samsung's market share, well, a gimmicky phone that is higher priced it's going to work for a few people, but that's not really going to gain back market share 
right? I don't, I, I don't think so. And I could be entirely wrong. But usually what keeps a flagship phone ahead is a compelling feature that makes it really easy to use your flagship phone versus a, a, a less affordable or a, a more affordable phone. So you give right. up, oh, well, I guess I'll type in a password instead of put in a fingerprint sensor. Or you're like, well, it'll run a little slower, but I'll save some money. And those mid-range phones are now coming with fingerprint sensors. They're now, you know, they, they now have great processors. So the idea of like, well, I guess I won't have a foldable phone that can fold out as a tablet doesn't strike me as something that will concern anyone yet. And, and again, maybe I'll get proved wrong. Sometimes these features you really don't realize how valuable are until they're out in the marketplace. But it is starting to look like Samsung is looking like Nokia looked in 2008. It's uh, it's it's definitely something that the, a lot of industries have uh, kind of come across where you concentrate so much on the upper end that as the mar- as the as the market matures, you realize everyone shifts down a notch based on value. What 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 they assume is, hey, for every X amount of dollar I get, I get how much phone, and that value proposition tends to be toward the middle, the upper middle, but never at the high end. Those are your halo products, those are the things that people want to aspire to, but their wallets will say, no, I'm going to go with the next best thing because it's affordable and does most of the stuff uh, that the high end phone does, but I don't need to to uh, you know sell an arm to yeah. do it. And 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 it's that that margin of difference in features is getting smaller and smaller. WhatsApp for iOS and Android now supports voice and video group calling for up to four people worldwide. Uh, previously announced at F8 back in May. WhatsApp says the app is designed to send video even on very slow network connections and calls are end-to-end encrypted just like chats are. WhatsApp first launched video chatting back in 2016. It launched voice calling back in 2014. And the company now says that users spend a total of 2 billion minutes per day talking within the app. Hmm. So this is one of those strange stories where we've got it in the lineup because it was everywhere. Everyone's very excited about this. And I am racking my brain to figure out why people are so excited. But I'm also the person who's never made a video call on WhatsApp. So I'm absolutely the wrong person to evaluate this. Have either of you guys ever well, used have WhatsApp? You, have you video? made a have you done a group video call within I've done Skype Messenger? Or know. yeah. I mean it's it's I think that um the the sheer number of people who are using WhatsApp to communicate, whether it's uh, you know, voice or video, one to one is is very high. Um, being able to get up to four people at once is I don't know. I mean, I guess that's kind of family chats. People who are in you know different regions and are using the app already. Obviously, WhatsApp has a huge user base. I don't do group chats ever either i i can't remember the last time i did but maybe we're an anomaly i the only time i've done a group video chat that wasn't podcast related was for family and that's because family would be located in three different parts of the globe and it's easier to get everyone together on the screen than to you know send out plane tickets um and it definitely could be especially for areas where transportation is difficult or expensive this is a way for people to kind of, uh, you know, get the family together, whether it's something important or it's sure. a celebration. And, like, and oh, for, it's Grandpa's know, birthday. Let's let's all be around at the same time. Why WhatsApp over 
existing ways to do this, right? Google has their own way. Skype exists. There's there's lots of way to do group video chats right now. But people have been like, yeah, I don't want to do it on those. I want to wait for WhatsApp to roll it out, and then I'll get really excited about it. It could yeah, be yeah. like, oh. you know, if you have a bunch of people in yeah, a friend group or a family, again, especially if, if, if they're uh, not all in the, you know, the same area of the world and everybody's using WhatsApp and nobody could do uh, group chatting or group calling before. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high volume, high speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Especially video. And especially if WhatsApp is correct in saying, hey, we've made really big strides to make sure that even if you're in a bad network uh, area, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, your video is going to be good. It's, you know, it's, it's for everybody then that makes a lot of sense. Well, there's your answer then. That that, that cracks it for me. It's we were all on WhatsApp chatting, so we didn't want to have to get a new thing because we were already there. And B, you know, uh, Uncle Uncle Patrick has really bad connection where he lives, but now he can actually be on the video chat. So sorry. For Uncle Patrick. Uh, May Ryan, Cade Metz, and Runzi Taylor from the New York Times have a feature on robotic hands that's definitely worth a read. We have a link to it in the show notes. It describes several different projects at OpenAI, a couple of labs at the University of California, Berkeley, a lab up in Washington, that really give you a sense of where the state of machine learning and robotic limbs, particularly hands and graspers, are. OpenAI in Washington have been using simulations to train hands that have five fingers, just like us, in the same articulation, to manipulate objects. Uh, the one at OpenAI can can move a cube in its hand that has letters on it until the letter you request comes up. Sounds easy for us to do, right? But that's actually incredibly diff- difficult for a robotic hand to do. It, it takes some subtle manipulation. And the fact that it was trained on simulations that were useful in the real world is something a lot of people were skeptical would work. Uh, so these two labs have shown that that can be done. The other examples in the article are all how using machine learning to train grippers 
is working to be able to pick up any object. So you train this this sort of pincer to be able to put the right amount of pressure and the right amount of of gauge, you know, opening uh, to pick up any object, even if it's not previously encountered that object, as well as move objects around on a surface and be able to predict what will happen when you slide them around. Well, you know, obviously, when you think of the five finger uh, being able to pick up stuff model, if you're talking about humans or primates, it's the opposable thumb, right? That's that's that, that's part of the big gripping. What is the latest technology that obviously they've been trying to work on that before? This wouldn't be the first time someone said, oh, let's make robotic hands act more like human hands. I mean, no, but they couldn't do it very well. <laughs> that's 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 all it is. I mean, this is just the advances are, are amazing, and and the dexterity is there. Whereas before, even if you had the joints right, coordinating the movements so that they could do subtle things on their own, mind you, uh, without a human controlling them, uh, has been a huge challenge and 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 one that they seem to have met. There's there's some really good uh, animations and videos in the New York Times story, but. I like this story, I guess, for a couple of reasons. One, all the things we've been talking about, like it shows the progress they've made. But the other is it shows just how hard this stuff is. If in the back of your mind you're thinking like, well, robots will take all my jobs, watch how clumsy these grippers are moving things around. It's impressive to roboticists that they can do this at all, unsupervised. But it's not going to be going and, and taking away a watchmaker's job anytime soon. And, uh, you know, one of the, the issues was always pressure sensitivity and, and how to, like, know to tell the hand when to quit squeezing, right? Imagine, like, it had a squeeze bottle. Imagine it was filled with ketchup. When you grab one of those bottles to, to load up your hot dog with ketchup, you know when you grab it, you just don't, you know, you don't do a kung fu grip on it because then the ketchup would all squirt out. You grip it with enough to lift it, and then when you bring it over the hot dog, you squeeze it a little more to get the ketchup out. And that was one of the biggest hurdles that they had to to overcome is like how much pressure do you add just you know there's a there's a limit where you sense in your nerve bundle how much pressure you're putting on that bottle and knowing when to stop squeezing and that's kind of the you know that's one of the hurdles that that's always been stymied you know you know kind of like the robocop press too hard you crush every bone in your hand kind of kind of thing hmm All right, moving on to Nintendo earnings. The company reported net sales up 9% from last year and profit up 42%. Wow. Nintendo says it sold 19.67 million Switch consoles to date, 86.9 million games for that console. Nintendo also sold 17.79 million consoles as of March 31st. So if you look at the numbers, the rate seems to be slowing a bit. The company plans to launch quite a few new games in its next quarter, including Super Mario Party, that's October 5th, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee on November 16th, and Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, which I know a lot of people are excited about, on December 7th. And yeah, maybe no one here is. Well, no, no. I actually had to cough right when you finished talking about that. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> uh, but Nintendo Switch slowing down is concerning. Uh, it obviously has sold way better than the Wii U did through its entire life cycle. That's fine. It's not near selling as well as the DS, but the DS is sort of an aberration uh, in many ways. It's a success for Nintendo, and I'm not saying that. The question t- that I have is... Are we seeing a seasonal slow because it's the summer and it's the first time because the switch was so hot that seasonal change affects it? 
Or is this the saturation of the market? Have, have Nintendo sold the Switches to all the people who are interested in Switches? And from here on out, they're now in the same position Sony is because PlayStation sales have also flattened. Uh, where, where Sony is expecting to make its money in this unit for the time being off of game sales. I mean, Nintendo can do quite well selling all those games that you just mentioned to Switch users. They'll do even better if they sell, if the Switches continue to sell. And, and it's, unu- well, it's not unusual, but uh, Nintendo has always been a standout in that they've always made money on hardware. Now, they didn't make a lot of money uh, compared to software sales, but they made enough as opposed to Sony and uh, Microsoft, where they would sell the hardware at a loss in order to get you as a customer to buy their game services down the road. And um, I'm wondering if uh, there's a point where, you know, a company just says, like, well, you, now we need to treat this kind of with the, the razor blade model or, or the printer model where we sell the hardware at a loss, but we make it up in repeated sales, something that Nintendo has kind of vehemently avoid doing for the longest time. All right. Time uh, to check in on a few earnings. Now, it's important to note the earnings in relation to the Facebook news because uh, one of the things we've been tracking is, is it just a time where tech companies are running into problems, especially advertising-based tech companies? So we're sort of looking at it in that light as well as the normal light couple things I might not have normally uh, mentioned. Akamai uh, beat expectations on strength in cloud security. That's interesting. Pandora, which a lot of people I think have counted out of the streaming race, got more paid subscribers and posted a smaller quarterly loss than expected. Uh, They're still in the the growth phase where they're expected to lose some money, uh, but they're losing less money than people expected. That's really good. Uh, and they grew their users about 351,000 more than three months earlier. So good news for Pandora. But the big one everybody cares about is Apple. Uh, Apple posted quarter results that topped targets and forecast revenue above expectations, driven by sales of the iPhone and revenue from the App Store, Apple Music, and iCloud, uh, beat sales estimates by selling fewer but pricier iPhones than analysts expected. So... I don't know, Sarah, a lot of the rhetoric has been like iPhone 10s aren't selling and it this sort of bears that out, but also shows like, but a thousand dollars a pop, who cares? They're making the money. Yeah. I mean, Apple has, uh, you know, over the last couple of, of, of cycles of the iPhone, but been, seems to have been understanding more like not everybody can get an iPhone 10, but you got the iPhone eight. Um, and, and, you know, even that said the, there are still the you know the the faithful out there who are going to spend more money for the nicest Apple uh, uh, units. Uh, you know I, I'm not alone in in that. And sure, I mean listen, it's it's a it's a matter of you know adding up numbers. If you sell fewer phones but they're more expensive, then that works out fine. And if you have lower priced phones for everybody who kind of wants to get in the ecosystem and and just doesn't have the money, and you offer that or older phones as well to, at at a discounted price, then yes, Apple, man, well, I, and I actually th- didn't. I, I I'm kind of surprised by these earnings. I I thought it was going to be a bit of a down quarter. Fewer than expected, but still up one percent year over year for iPhones. Yeah. So you know, it's not like iPhone sales declined; they just didn't rise as fast as everybody thought. iPhone revenue grew twenty percent thanks to that average selling price, uh, and iPad revenue fell off five percent. Mac revenue fell off five percent. Services revenue, as I mentioned, grew thirty one percent. 
other products, that's things like AirPods and Apple Watch, up 37%. So that starts to look like a number that we may start to see broken out. You may see some of these products that are doing so well, maybe the Apple Watch perhaps, uh, be broken out into its own subcategory. Uh, revenue by geography is interesting to look at too. Uh, in the Americas, revenue up 20%, Europe up 14%, Greater China up 19%, Japan up 7%, and the rest of Asia Pacific up 16%. So a very, very positive uh, earnings quarter for Apple. Like you say, Sarah, a lot of people, you weren't alone. A lot of people did not expect it to be that way. Now, the services revenue, uh, which of course includes, you know, everything in the app store and, and stuff that's for sale, that isn't surprising to me. The other products, which of course include the Apple Watch and others, it would have surprised me, except that just last week, I believe, we talked about the fact that the Apple Watch was a runaway hit in certain, mar- certain right, markets right. in Asia, even though the total shipped units were not even a million. They were, you know, 350,000 or, you know, a number that, that isn't, you know, it's, it's, it has room to grow, but was so far ahead of the competition in that region. Um, Interesting. Well, thanks to Amos for popping these numbers in. He's the guy who uh, fills out the show notes if you go to the website, dailytechnewsshow.com. Folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. Also, thanks to everybody who supports our subreddit. Get in there, submit stories, vote on others. DailyTechNewsShow.reddit.com. It's a lot of fun. Also a lot of fun is our Facebook group, Facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Tech News Show. All right, let's check in with Big Jim, who has a little bit of a tip about the blockchain being used for shipping. Hey, Tom, Roger Scooter. It is I, Big Jim, and I am calling in today to talk about an article you guys discussed yesterday about blockchain in the supply chain. And most importantly, uh, what I want to talk about is all of those features that you mentioned, uh, be it humidity or even light sensitivity, location, uh, or even you can even get as far as smell and scent. All of these are available to you now. You can get all these things as long as you're willing to pay for them. Uh, the difference is you have to go into a secure portal and look at the information. It's not piped to you. Whereas with blockchain, the beautiful thing about blockchain is everything will be pumped to you. All that data will be sent to you in a secure manner. It can go into your ERP systems and you can see where they are real time. This is a huge benefit to carriers who have to manage the cargo, uh, freight forwarders who have to book and maintain the shipment, uh, shippers and receivers, obviously, uh, as well as financial institutions because they want to ensure that those goods are actually being moved where they say they're supposed to be moved. And the biggest beneficiary, more than anything else, of course, comes back down to insurance. Because if an insurance company is able to turn around and uh, verify that those goods are good and there's no damage to the goods, then that stops the liability and problems there is with a shipment. But that's just my two cents. For Tech and Trade, and of course, Daily Tech News Show's Trade Advisor, I'm Big Jim. Thanks for fighting through the bronchitis there, Big Jim. I get to get hear it a, a little bit. Not not too bad, though, uh, in, in his voice. And, and very insightful. I mean, that is the promise of blockchain. More efficient, but not less secure. All right, let's check the mailbags there. David, the software engineer, had a thought on our roundtable show from last Friday. If you uh, missed it, we had a great conversation about lots of stuff. But one of them was talking about the idea of two-factor authentication. Uh, authentication devices that use Bluetooth rather than USB and NFC and what is more secure. Much of the criticism of Bluetooth, uh, uh, Dave says, was super insightful, specifically the concerns that you raised regarding placing your security in a device that can run out of batteries, for example. But 
I believe you may have overstated the insecurity of Bluetooth. Bluetooth is a transport mechanism like Wi-Fi or Ethernet or NFC. Some transport mechanisms are more secure than others, but protocols that run over those transports can still be equally secure. An example, HTTPS on VPN traffic over Bluetooth is just as safe as Ethernet or NFC or even a carrier pigeon. I want to see VPN run on a carrier pigeon. All right. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, suspending a little disbelief here, David. David says, until we've seen what software Google is using between the computer and their device, because they're launching their own device as well, which we talked about. Dave says, it's far too soon to make any real claims about how secure it is compared to the competition. No, that's, that's fair to say. Um, and I don't think Shannon would disagree with you, and I certainly don't. Uh, and I tried to make the point that she, you know, Shannon lives in a different world of you know, the smallest infinitesimal risk to the rest of us looks big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so you're, you're talking in the trust no one sort of situation there. But David's not wrong. There's no reason for the average person to jump to the conclusion that just because it's Bluetooth, it would be insecure. Uh, certainly more secure than Carrier Pigeon. I'll give him that. So thank you, David, for that. Appreciate the email. What do you have against pigeons? I just don't think that they, they are end-to-end encrypted. <laughs> From what I've seen, uh, there's leakage in there. I'm just saying. Mm, yeah. A- absolutely. Mm. Yeah, no more. Uh, hey, uh, you know what tomorrow is, Sarah? What? August 1st. Oh, my gosh. What the heck? How'd that happen? I don't have a clue. Time just keeps on ticking, ticking, (sighs) Closer to Christmas than last Christmas. (laughs) I know. But I bring it up specifically right now because it is the day that our Patreon charges uh, get collected. So big thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. And it's a good day to start supporting us on Patreon now because if you get in on August 1st, you get all the posts with all the perks. It's also a reminder to people who've been like, where's that ad-free feed? How do I get my business card? How do you hook up to Discord? All of that information will be posted again as it is every month on Patreon patreon.com slash dtns if you would like to get a hold of us well carrier pigeon is an option but email might be better feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com is what we suggest at least to start we're live monday through friday at 4 30 p.m eastern 2030 utc if you can join us live we'd love to have you find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live we'll see you tomorrow with scott johnson talk to you then show is part of the frog pants network get more at frogpants.com diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program (laughs) hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? 
Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.